WFYI podcast brought to you by Bloomington, Indiana, an American college town offering food and drink, college sports, outdoor activities, live music, cool art, and good times daily. Everyone is welcome in Bloomington. More information at visitbloomington.com. We're going to take a trip right now. Like we always do about this time. This is a journey into sound. I'm Kyle Long, and you're listening to Cultural Manifesto. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with the Grammy-winning blues legend Bobby Rush. He's playing a free show on Friday, September 3rd, at the Fisher's Blues Fest. My name is Bobby Rush. I want you to know I sing the blues, y'all, uh, everywhere I go. I've been singing the blues for a long, long time. And the blues the only thing, y'all, that's on my mind. I'm a blues man. That's what I And Bobby Rush just released his memoir titled, I Ain't Studdin' Ya, My American Blues Story. The book chronicles Rush's hard-fought journey to success in the music business. Bobby Rush was born in Louisiana during the 1930s. And like many Southerners, he made his way north during the Great Migration, arriving in Chicago in the early 1950s. While in Chicago, Rush worked alongside blues legends like Muddy Waters and Little Walter. But success eluded Rush during his early career, and the singer was in Chicago for over a decade before he had a chance to cut his debut single, Someday, released on the Jerry O. label in 1964. And it wasn't until the 1970s that Rush truly found his voice as an artist, developing a unique style that mixed humor-laced storytelling with bluesy funk grooves. Rush called this sound folk funk. During the 1980s, Rush's folk funk style struck a chord with black blues fans in the South. And his songs, like What's Good for the Goose is Good for the Gander, or A Man Can Give It But Can't Take It, became staples of 1980s Southern blues. A man can give it, but he 
Resch moved back to the South to be closer to his fans. And his prolific touring schedule during this time earned him the title of the King of the Chitlin Circuit. The arrival of the 21st century saw Bobby Rush embracing more traditional blues sounds and garnering widespread critical acclaim. In recent years, Bobby Rush has won a pair of Grammy Awards, and in 2006, he was inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame. And Bobby Rush will join me via phone in just a moment. But first, let's hear his classic 1972 single, Gotta Be Funky. Love, I want you to know. November child, I'm a Scorpio, tall like tree, black like coal. I talk more talk than the radio. Mama told Daddy before I was born, got a boy child coming, gonna be a son of a gun. Be funky. What they don't understand, every man got to do his own thing. And anything I do, got to be funky. Daddy don't like the song I sing. He says, son, your song. the way I wear my hair She tell me every day Son It looks too funky What she don't understand Every man got to do his own thing And anything I do Got to be funky Say what I smoke smells too funky. I'm just a man doing my thing, doing whatever I feel, knowing where I'm going, liking what I'm doing. I got my own life to live. legend Bobby Rush with his 1972 single, Gotta Be Funky. Bobby Rush has a new memoir out titled, I Ain't Stun Ya, 
My American Blues Story. The book chronicles his hard road to success, including the racial discrimination he faced as a young man during the era of Jim Crow segregation. And Bobby Rush joins me now via phone. Bobby Rush, thank you so much for taking time to speak with me today. It's an honor to have you on the program. I'm a huge fan of your work. Well, thank you very much for being a fan. Thank you, thank you, uh, your your public for listening to us. Maybe we can gain some new new fans by by the people who love you, and you can introduce them to me. You know. I hope so. And you're playing here in Indiana at the Fishers Blues Festival on Friday, September 3rd. And throughout your career, you've been known for keeping a heavy touring schedule. I know some years you play as many as 250 nights, probably more a year. I'm curious, during the pandemic, when everything was shut down last year, was that a tough time for you? Yeah, a very tough time. Tough time in two ways, because I got sick with the virus, and I was tough because you got Many guys been with me for a long time. My drummer been with me 37 years, and everybody has been with me over 25 years. So when when you're not employing people that have been around with you for this long, and they kind of be a part of your family, part of your body limbs, you know, it makes you feel bad that you can't work and supply work for the people who work for you. And then, and on on the other hand, that uh, my fans, who who is all of me, and I couldn't do what I want to do to my fans. I miss my fans. And I miss seeing them, miss playing for them, miss laughing, talking. Just fan through the years, over close to 70 years uh, in this business. So you got a lot of fans, a lot of friends, and, and you make a lot of friends. Maybe a few people don't like me, but they. But if you're good at what you do, they can say, I don't like him, but he sure is good. <laughs> That's all what matters, you know. So, yeah, the time's been hard, but uh, God's going to bless all of us to come out of this. We're in together, so maybe a new norm. But we live with what, whatever put in the front of we'll, we'll find a way. Uh, to make it, you know. And you've got your uh, band back together, and you're back out on the road this year, right? I'm back. I'm back on the road now. And of course, you know, it's too bad that look like the surge is back on us again. Mm-hmm. But we got to be careful than we were before. But nevertheless, I had my uh, vaccination shots for the, the COVID, and so did all of my fellows with me. And uh, we're just hoping and praying that nobody don't bring it to us. And I pray to and hope that everybody will go out and take this virus shot. Because uh, the life you say could be mine. You know, some people don't believe in it. But I often tell people to encourage them, take the shot because it's, it's like sitting down eating dinner. You say your blessing, you just got the best of food, not knowing who fixed it, where it come from, or what have you. So do the shot the same way. You just got to help you and bless it because you don't know what's in it, what's coming from. You just want to be helpful. And please do that for me and the other people around you because the life you say could be mine and, and I, my yours could be saved. And 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 the carefulness that that you that you bring on up here. Treat me like you wish to be treated. Other words. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, we lost some good musicians here in Indianapolis and around the world due to this virus. So yeah, it's important that people take this seriously, uh, even this tough as it's been. Yes, yes, yes. You know, and we can make it out of this together. We it's not uh, it's, it's not a wouldn't me. It's not a black and white issue. It's about a surviving issue. Mm-hmm. So we we in this thing together. So we can come out of it. We just have to. Make sure that we embrace each other and and help when we can and do all we can while we can. Great. And Bobby Rush, on this subject of touring and all the years you've spent on the road, I wanted to ask if you had any specific memories of playing here in Indianapolis. I know you do so many shows, it's probably hard to look back and pinpoint certain memories, but does anything stand out? 
Man, I come in, I played all kind of juke joints in those nappies back in 1951, 52. You wasn't born then. You no. Your granddad was around. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, the Sip and Noodle was the last place I played, and uh, they all good friends of mine, even before uh, the late the guy who's only his wife still living, and he passed and gone, gone to heaven. But, but, they, but, but I played that so many times, so many juke joints. I came up. I think the first time I played that in 1952, myself and Muddy Waters played together. Wow. You played, so Muddy Waters played, there was a neighborhood here in Indianapolis called Indiana yeah, Avenue. Indiana, Indiana Avenue. I do a whole, I do a whole yeah. show about that every week. And Muddy Waters played, played at a club I called the... I played in, in, 50, in 1952 or 53. Um, I think... I think Muddy Waters played here twice at the 440 Club and at the yes, Sunset. Wow. I the 440. Yes, no sir. kidding. In the, yes, a guy named Ruby, my, Ruby well, Shelton owned it. I know we call him, we call him Playboy Ruby. Wow, you remember that? Yes, I do. Wow, and I think a ventriloquist was on the show with Muddy Waters that night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I don't know who would Muddy, but I can't remember, who, but I know J.B. Illinois, but that was a, wow. J.B. Illinois, myself, and Muddy Waters. And next time I came, I came with myself, Willie Dixon. Wow. Do you remember where you played that time? Was it on Indiana Avenue? In Avenue, yeah. the place called the guy's called Hilton. Hilton. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. That's Indiana amazing. Avenue, that was like Bill Street at that time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I actually wanted to ask you about that. If if you remember being on Indiana Avenue, or if you ever played there, what memories do you have of being on the Avenue? Which is like any other joint, but we had fun. The girl was hollering at me and kissed me on the jaw. Muddy Wava <laughs> introduced me as his little brother. What kind of fun? What kind of fun you thought I had, man? <laughs> <laughs> Playing the blue and muddy water said, "This is my little brother." Oh man, his girl and my girl kissing me on the jaw. Come on, man, please. Yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> um, in, in 1990, there was a show you played. I wanted to ask you about too. That featured a couple prominent local figures in blues music. In 1990, on Easter Sunday, I believe you played at a club Easter called Sunday. called Faces. Yeah, yeah and uh, Easter. Yeah. Lefty yeah, Bates no played with you. Do you remember Lefty yeah. Bates? Yes, yeah. Yeah, I don't know Lefty Bates. Come on, please. Yes. <laughs> and a, a, bl- uh, I did, a blues... I didn't know him. I didn't know him that well, but I had a lot of fun with him because he, he was like from that area, I believe, from from the yeah. Indianapolis area, you know. And a blues uh, radio DJ named King Rowe was the MC. Do you remember King you know, Rowe? Yeah, you know I remember King Rowe. You know, I met, met King Rowe and, uh, oh, God, I can't think of this town. Kokomo, Indiana. Okay. Kokomo. And, you know, Indianapolis has some, has produced some important blues artists. Probably most famously are Leroy Carr and Scrapper Blackwell, two of the early uh, big blues stars. But Naptown has also been home to artists like Yank Rochelle and Guitar Pete Franklin. I'm curious if, you know, how how much uh, of that history you're aware of and if any of those artists are people yeah, you're I'm, you're interested I'm in. I'm way I'm for the, for the music and some, but I didn't get just to... Uh, meet Leroy and them on a personal table, but, but I know about their music and what they've done. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm into history about what people produce and what they did coming up, you know. Yeah. You know, you know I heard uh, both Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf in interviews said that uh, How Long Blues by Leroy Carr was one of the first songs they learned. Do you remember hearing that song as a young man? It sounds, hey, seems come like. Come on, everybody, it was, in, it was a neighborhood thing. Well, Leroy, you follow, you follow me? Mm-hmm. I appreciate you sharing that. And, yeah. and, and Bobby Rush, you just released your memoir, a book titled "I Ain't Studying You." I ain't studying you. And I really love that book. I sat down and read it in one night. I just sat there for a few hours and read the whole thing oh, and really enjoyed it. Oh, you're blessing. 
Let me say to you why I'm, I'm glad you read it. Since you read it, my whole thing writing this book it was hard for me to tell the story that I told in this book without stepping on someone's toe. Mm. But main thing I want out of the people say, when they read this book, what I want to get out of this book, that all the battles that I went through in my life, and I haven't went through many battles as a lot of people have, but I went through a lot of ups and downs, a lot of hills and things I climbed out of battles. I came out of it. But I want people to know if I can make it out of all of this, little old blue singer Bobby Rush, you can too. That's what I want you to come out with. Yeah, you said you if didn't I want to make it. If I could make it, you could make it too. Yeah, you said you didn't want to step on anybody's toes. And, you know, you share a lot of very deep and personal things about your life in there. Was that difficult for you to put all that out on the table oh, for yeah. everyone? Yeah. Yeah, it was, it, was, it, was all it, it was hard for me to talk about my mother being this white lady and my daddy was her chauffeur and she was my babysitter when we was in the public. She was my mama when we got home. She could never own up to me as being her son when we were out in the public. Mm. And, and, and that, was, that was hard for me to talk about, you know, when I look back on it. Because my mother had to be white when she had to be. She was black when she wanted to be. Uh, I had no other choice. Yeah, you talk about that in the book, how your mom uh, passed as white and used that yeah. to help take care of your family when she needed to. Well, I think not only take care of the family, I think she helped save my dad's life and probably would save my life because she was a forerunner for uh, getting things she needed and doing things she needed to do for all of us because she was, she could be white when she had to be, and uh, she was a black woman who uh, could pass both ways. Mm. And, you know, of course, you grew up in a time when, you know, Jim Crow segregation was still legal. And you write about some of these issues you faced in the book. A real shocking part of the book, I thought, was when you talk about playing in Chicago behind a, a screen to a white yeah, audience. Because, yeah, because uh -huh. they didn't want to look at the black musicians. Uh, can you talk about uh, that aspect of your life and, uh, yeah, sharing that in the yeah, book? And I, yeah, I can talk about that because... That, see, when I left the South, going north, I thought I was going to my heaven. Otherwise, I was going to be a free blues man and a black man to go where I wanted to and do what I wanted to do. But when I got to Chicago, I ran into a brick wall because in Chicago, Illinois, I ran into worse than it was in the southern state. In the southern state, I was working in a place that no colors allowed. But I knew that. It was out in the opening. But when I got to Illinois, I didn't think I could run into them kind of things. I played behind a curtain. Well, they want to hear my music but not see my face. Now I didn't know where to turn to. But then when I look at how things have changed, yes, they have changed, but there remains so much, everything have changed remains the same. Because if I just had waited just another one more year before I put this book out, I probably would have wrote something different when I saw what they did in the White House, mm. you know, just a, just a year or so ago. I probably would have wrote something different. And Bobby, you talked about all the things you've overcome and hoping that that is an inspirational point to people who read this book. And, and when I read the book, one of the big themes that stood out to me was patience, because success didn't always come as quick for you as you wanted it to. You didn't cut your first single, I think, until you were after 30. You didn't cut your first LP until you were after 40. And some of the big recognition you've gotten, the Grammy Awards, et cetera, has only come in more recent years. You know, a lot of young artists get frustrated and quit by the time they're 30, right? How did you stay motivated during these years? And is there anything you learned from that process you'd want to share with folks? I think uh, my biblical study gave me the patience. 
I think the way I was raised, who raised me with my dad being a preacher and a pastor of a church, I think that had a lot to do with me being patient. Because you 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 can't rush time. You can't make things happen before time comes. Now, just suddenly, I thought maybe I do a reward from a record recognition before before now before eighty three years old when I won my first Grammy. I had much many bigger records than that record. But nevertheless, when you look at it spiritually, I probably couldn't. I probably wouldn't know how to handle it if I had come in early. So it takes time. And I, I learned how to be good at what I do. I'm good at what I do, man. I don't brag about it. It's just a fact. I'm good at what I do. And I tell all the young people, be good at what you do. And then and learn the business and be patient. And uh, and I'm still like that. I'm still learning. And Because I, I know a man or woman can live a long time without water or food. But you can't live long without hope. I still have hope. This is, well, this is a great day for me. When you say you want to call me from Indianapolis to do an interview with me, you know how good that makes me feel. And every time I'm going to have a chance to speak to someone who's in love with my music or what I'm doing, that's why I thank God every day. And, and, and I'm still learning. And I thank you for that, Frank. You to call me, not only to talk to him about the book, you read the book. Hmm. This is a plus to my life. I appreciate that. Thank you for saying that. I'm Kyle Long, and you're listening to Cultural Manifesto. My guest this week is the blues legend Bobby Rush. He's playing a free show on Friday, September 3rd, at the Fisher's Blues Fest. Let's pause and listen to a track from Bobby's latest album, Rar Than Raw, which recently won a Grammy Award for Best Traditional Blues Album. This is Bobby Rush with Hard Times. Wherever you go, it's hotter now than it ever been before. place you go. Walking slow. Mm-hmm. 
Things are rougher than it ever been before. was blues legend Bobby Rush with Hard Times off his most recent album, Rar Than Raw. And Bobby Rush is my guest this week. Bobby Rush just released a memoir titled I Ain't Stun Ya, My American Blues Story. In the book, Rush recalls his early years working with the Rabbit Foot Minstrel Show, an influential variety show that toured through the South during the early 1900s. The mix of comedy and music featured in the Rabbit Foot shows would remain a staple of Bobby Rush's stage show for decades to come. Let's return to my conversation with Bobby Rush. And Bobby Rush, I wanted to ask you another question about the book. One thing I found really fascinating in the book is your memories of playing as a young man with the Rabbit Foot Minstrel Show which was a traveling vaudeville-type show that was a starting ground for many important blues singers. And these shows were more than just concerts. They had comedy, dancing, and all kinds of entertainment. And you kept that style of vaudeville entertainment alive on your road show as you toured the Chitlin Circuit across the United States. Can you talk about that vaudeville type of entertainment culture that you grew up in and, and how you kind of integrated that into the uh, shows you were doing for years out on the road? I would love to talk about that. You know, all the interviews i ever done, you the first man ever picked out of me that I'm a, a comedian. Mm. I mean that in comedy. I mean, you know, that's what I. That's what we had to do. We had to make people laugh, man. And you still see that in me. And you're the first one to ever picked that out that talked about that. If you if you pick if they picked it out, they never talked about it. Mm-hmm. You're the first one grab that because you can see that in my performances. Mm-hmm. You can hear it in my records where I write. Still the laughter. I talk about the goddess man stole my woman. That ain't funny, but it do happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it do happen. And I would, and that's where it go, man. I got my job, my second job at the carnival. That was a man who had me. Someone told me he never laughed. I said I can make him laugh. They said, well, if you make him laugh, you got a job. So I went and told him his name was Henderson, Mr. Henderson. He said, how you doing? He said, I'm Bobby Rush. He said, yeah, I heard about you. They say you can make me laugh. Ain't nothing funny to me. I said, Mr. Henderson, I went to this lady's house a couple of days ago. About 8.30, she came home at 9 o'clock. He looked at me and said, 8.30? You was in the house at 8.30? She didn't come home till 9 o'clock? She said, was the door locked? No, her door was open. I just walked in and hid behind the door. When she walked in, I said, boo. She said, oh, you almost get my pants off. I said, boo, 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 boo. And he laughed. <laughs> and I got the job, man. Because <laughs> I made him laugh, you know? Yeah. The, the nightclub scene was totally different. 
uh, on the Chitlin Circuit and even here on Indiana Avenue. I told you I do a program on that subject and studying about the history of Indiana Avenue was really educational to me because it wasn't just musicians playing at the nightclubs. There were comedians and there were also entertainers that were unclassifiable. There was a guy here named Iron Jaw Memphis who used to wear roller skates and he would pick up a table with his teeth with a lady sitting on it and roller skate around the club. And he was a featured on all the nightclub bills. There was also female impersonators. That was a big thing here in Indianapolis. Can you talk yeah. about that culture of entertainment in the clubs during, the, during that period of time? Well, you know, there's an old saying, like, what people don't want to talk about, the Sambo look. Mm. You know, you know they even taking watermelons out of front yards of white people because they seem to be uh, talking about downstroking black people as a whole, as a race. But you see, when I came up, you had to make people laugh whether they're white or black, and especially white people. If you want to entertain them and get paid for what you've done, you have to play like you were dumb and you are, but you have to be smart enough to make them laugh Then you got to be smarter than they are. And I was always in the head of, of the next main thinking because I could look in his eyes and almost tell what he wanted out of me. And I was able to do that. And that's, that's where that comedy thing come in. I could tell. I could walk in the audience now, whether they black or white. I can tell you the man or woman who come there to see me, who come to criticize me, who just don't know me. I want to have something bad to say about me. And those are the kind of people I work on first, and I gain them on my side, and they pull the rest of the people over. Them the one I work on first. Mm. The one who come there uh, just to look at me and say I don't like Bobby Rush. Before I leave, he'd be the one clapping and say, "Come on, y'all, this guy's great." You know, but my thing is you got to be smart enough and sly as a pop to know how to get the job done. Understood. And on the subject of comedy, Bobby Rush, one of the performers you were touring with on the Chitlin circuit was Rudy Ray Moore. And you were recently <laughs> featured in the Dolomite movie that Eddie Murphy made. Tell me about working with Rudy Ray Moore and uh, being featured in this film, what that meant to you. Man, I didn't know I was going to be featured on film when Rudy Ray. We must did over 150 shows together through the years in the southern states and, and Alabama and Mississippi, Arkansas, Louisiana, all across the little juke joint, just like we were playing up in Indianapolis. Place looked like that I'm talking about. It's like some money or no money, some most of the time no money or little money. And we did whatever we have to do to survive, man. We go in town. If we bet on a Friday and Saturday, we go in town on a Thursday. He had old, old Cadillac cars and bullhorn, and he would go. He would sit on the hood while I drive. We walked down the street. He would say, "Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we had such and such a play at Laser Lounge, it's eight o'clock, starring Rudy May, Rudy Ray Moe, and Bobby Rush. Y'all got to come see him. Them guys are great." And he'd be the one saying it, you know. Yeah. You know, and that's the way he would talk through his bullhorn. And we'd go down on Friday and Saturday and load the place down. Of course, most of the place wasn't seen but two or three hundred people. But two or three hundred people, that five dollars a head was a lot of money back in the day, you know? There was a band from Indianapolis that used to tour with him in the 70s called the Hamilton Movement. Does that ring a bell with you? Yeah, it rang a bell with Hamilton Movement. And, and, and uh, Jimmy Lynch was, yeah. put that band together. Yeah, he lived in Fort Wayne and had a club yeah, here in Indiana. That's right, Fort Wayne, a club. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Jimmy Lynch. Yep. You sure remember did you ever play up at his club in Fort Wayne? No, I didn't play in his club. I played around in the same town, but mm. I didn't play in his club. I didn't play in his club. But I knew him all the time, though.
I'm Kyle Long, and you're listening to Cultural Manifesto. My guest this week is the blues legend Bobby Rush. We've been discussing his appearance in Eddie Murphy's 2019 film Dolomite Is My Name. During the film, Rush is seen performing his song I Ain't Stun Ya, which is also the title of his new autobiography. We'll listen to that song in just a moment. But first, I asked Rush to explain the significance of the title. Your book is titled I Ain't Studying Ya, which is named after one of your most popular songs. You know, I don't know if that's a regional phrase, but I wasn't familiar with that phrase before I heard your music. For our listeners, could you tell them what, what that phrase means, I Ain't Studying Ya? Well, they came from when I was a little boy. I remember my mama cooking tea cakes, little cookies, and I would eat in the kitchen with her. She had ten, uh, nine other sisters and brothers, ten with myself. And I would eat with her while she cooked them. But at the meantime, when it come down to eating dinner, I would sit and eat with the kids again. And I would ask my mama for a little cooker. She knowing that I had ate with her in the kitchen while she was cooking. She said, no, boy, you ain't getting no more. I ain't studying you. I mean, I'm not thinking about you. Get out of the kitchen. Mm. You know, it's, in other way, I ain't studying you mean. I'm not thinking about you. I'm not doing nothing you say, you know. You know if, if, if any man listen to us today, if your wife say you, 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 you ain't getting no loving tonight, I ain't studying you, that means you might want to get out of the bed and go cut wood or chop your dog or cut grass or something. You know, you ain't getting nothing there. But I think people get it now. I'm not thinking about you. What way you can it's just how many ways you can say goodbye. You can get your car and leave. You can be gone. I don't. I just don't say anything. Don't come back. There's a many ways you can say goodbye. It's a many ways you can say I ain't studying you. Just don't do it. My dad and granddad always said, if a man asks you to pick up a hot heater, don't say you won't. Just don't. I ain't studying you. <laughs> well said. <laughs> this is Bobby Rush with I Ain't Studying You.
I'm Kyle Long, and you're listening to Cultural Manifesto. My guest this week is the blues legend, Bobby Rush. He's playing a free show on Friday, September 3rd, at the Fisher's Blues Fest. And we've been discussing his new autobiography, I Ain't Stun Ya, My American Blues Story. In the book, Rush discusses his relationship with the Gary Indiana-born record producer, Calvin Carter, brother of VJ Records co-founder, Vivian Carter. Up next, we'll hear one of the classic singles, Bobby Rush Cut with Calvin Carter. From 1971, this is Bobby Rush with Chicken Heads. Daddy told me on his dying day Give up your heart but don't you lose your head You come along girl what did I do I lost my heart and my head went to Little girl, little girl, you show sure can cook. Little girl, little girl, you got me. When you cook that chicken, say me to head. I should be working, but I'm home in bed. Thinking about you, dreaming about you, love that girl. Love them chicken heads too. Without your love, I just can't go on. Cause the feeling I have for you is much too strong. Let me in, let me in, let me in, let me in. My love for you is so doggone strong. Like the Mississippi River roll on and on. If loving you was a doggone crime I'll be sitting in jail done flat 99 Thinking about you Dreaming about you Love that gal Love them chicken heads too That was blues legend Bobby Rush with Chicken Heads. That record was produced by Gary Indiana's Calvin Carter, the brother of VJ Records co-founder Vivian Carter. In his new autobiography, I Ain't Stun Ya, Bobby Rush discusses his complicated relationship with Calvin Carter. Let's return to my conversation with Bobby Rush. I wanted to ask you about another question related to our music heritage in Indiana, and this is something you wrote about in your book. 
Uh, in the book, you mentioned VJ Records several times. And VJ was founded in Gary, Indiana in 1953 by Vivian Carter and Jimmy Bracken. And eventually, uh, Vivian moved the label to Chicago, where it became the most successful black-owned record label of its day. And you write about the importance of VJ in your book. I wanted to ask you if you could share with our listeners, you know, what that label meant to you and what seeing this, you know, black-owned label really thrive and succeed, what that meant to you during that time. Well, really what happened with it, Vivian Carter had a brother named Calvin Carter. Mm -hmm. They first had the record, CJ record was, was Calvin and Vivian. Then the guy had a record shop. Jimmy had a record shop in Gary and Anna. Then when she got married to Jimmy, then they changed the name to BJ Records, Vivian and Jimmy. That's how it started. Yeah. Then he he was you know, was working for Motown uh, and back and forth. He knew a lot about the record business itself because he was in record business as a as a as a record a, a store owner. <clears throat> and then then Calvin Carter was like the A and R main for the company then. And he and I remained friends until he passed uh, 25 years ago. I know you wrote about you had a complicated relationship with him in in some aspects because he uh, took credit for some songs you wrote. But but, but he knew the business. He was there with his sister. He knew the business. He just missed me out of my my royalties. He missed me out of my publishing and my writer. Hmm. You know, he put himself on that. 50% 50% of the writer, which he had nothing to do with none of the writer of Chickenhead, he and then he he get took 100% of the publishing, which is supposed to be mine. By me not knowing how to do all these kind of things, he just took advantage of me, man. And uh, and and not only me, he took advantage of Jimmy Reed and most of the people around. And I said that, and I talked about that a little bit in the book. But uh, that's what he did to me, man. You know, just he just ripped me off financially, you know. Mm. And my, most of most of my rip offs been with record company, but with black people who did it for me, bought a record company. Mm. Well, that's terrible, and it sounds like you were able to forgive him to some extent. That you were able to maintain okay. a relationship with him. Is that right? Yeah, because because most of the thing happened to me because of my lack of knowledge of the business. Mm. I didn't know the business. Let's hear another classic. Bobby Rush record produced by Calvin Carter. From 1972, this is Bowlegged Woman and Knock Need Man. Chicken in a car, and the car won't go. That's the way you spell. Chicago Night found a ball And a pretty green That's the way you spell New Orleans Hey little girl And the tight tight sweater Hey baby Sure looking yellow The girl over there the hot pants on Turn loose Jane Brown Let her turn me on Cause me and you baby Go hand in hand You the bow-legged woman And I'm a knock-kneed man Me and you baby 
listening to Cultural Manifesto. My guest this week is the blues legend Bobby Rush. He's playing a free show on Friday, September 3rd at the Fisher's Blues Fest. Let's return to my conversation with Bobby Rush. And I'm going to play the song How Long off your 2006 album Raw. And this is one of my favorite tracks that you've recorded. The song speaks about the issue of reparations. And I'm That's curious right. what inspired you to write about this subject. Uh, in 1963, I was coming myself from, uh, I had ton of coming from Rock Island, Illinois, myself, Robert Plunkett, the three of us. He was in the car with me. I had was in the car in the front of me. And one truck hit me in the back and knocked my station wagon over and turned it over in a ditch. We got out, and, and there was nine other trucks hit that truck, and all ten trucks the men were driving got burned up. No one survived, and they left me in a ditch, and I dug a hole to keep warm till someone found me. Four or five hours later, someone did come and found me, and, and the sheriff's department, whoever it was, came in to look for me. They said, we don't see nobody. It seemed like all the ten trucks, everybody burned up. Anybody else here you live? One guy said, no, just two niggas in a ditch, and they already buried, leave them there, and they left us there. Mm. And that's why I wrote this song, How Long. You know, blues music can be a lot of different things. It can be party music, it can be spiritual music, and it can also be used to comment on important issues like this. You know, for instance, you mentioned J.B. Lenoir in your book, and he wrote a lot of songs talking about politics and society. I'm curious how you see the role of blues music in speaking about issues like reparations and, and other important social issues. Well, I, I think coming through music, black people as a whole, especially myself, I could speak about some things I want to talk about through my music and through my song that I couldn't speak about because in a platform or on, on some kind of... Uh, uh, presidential deaths uh, I talk about it I couldn't write this one because nobody believed what black people were talking about so you had to put it in a song you had to put it in a song so I remember J.B. Lenore had this song about uh, about the president mm-hmm. President Eidhouse and I had a song about I don't want to be the president someone asked me why because I said well I don't want to be the president because someone kissed me with my girlfriend and tell my wife and they would never have me to be a president you know, and I and I just I just tell it like it is, man, and talk about those kind of things, and in, in my song, and I still talk about the kind of things I cannot speak about because I don't want to I don't want to keep talking about racial issues. I don't want to keep talking about uh, what happened with him, uh, uh, police harassment, and put a foot on his neck. I've been had a foot on my neck all of my life. 
and that my that been because I don't have opportunity to do what I want to do as a man, especially as a black man. So I don't want to keep talking about black and white issues. Not that it don't happen, but I just want to make it better for myself by doing what I need to do when I need to do it. Because so many times we as a race, I'm talking about my people now as a black man, sometimes what we don't say is the worst thing in the world. Not what we say is what we don't say. This is Bobby Rush with How Long. Tell me how long, how long How long Tell me how much more longer, how long How long Don't be confused I'm talking about my 40 acres and my mule, yeah. My great-granddaddy, uh, he waited all his life. And my daddy, dad waiting too. legend Bobby Rush with How Long. Bobby Rush is playing a free show in central Indiana on Friday, September 3rd at the Fisher's Blues Fest. Let's return to my conversation with Bobby Rush. Bobby, my final question to you is about, you know, the enduring 
popularity of blues music. You know, through the years, music styles come and go. You know, ragtime music and Dixieland music were once, you know, very popular forms of music, but we don't hear them very much anymore. Blues music has been around over a hundred years, and it still remains an important part of our culture. It's still popular with all kinds of people. In your opinion, why is this music so enduring, and why has it stayed such a it's maintained such an important place in our culture. I think it because of white people begin to get into the blues and bring it forth, and 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 because they. But the only thing I don't like about that they don't tell where it's come from. A lot mm. of time, you see, the blues is the root, a mother of all music. If you don't like the blues, you probably don't like your mama, and that's the truth about the music. But uh, but see, you know, I remember about sixty years ago. Could be a little better. Could be a little less. They invented a wah-wah so the white guy could sound like the black guys who playing the blues. Now you got black guys buying wah-wah trying to sound like a white guy who trying to sound black. But but if it wasn't for the white men who playing the blues, I don't know what we would do. Because some of the black men, it's shame to be black, ashamed of themselves, and shame of the music they play. They want to say, I can hear black guys say, well, I'm going to record this because I think this is what play, white people like. I'm going to record like this because I think of what black people like. I record what I feel is good and be good at it and hope everyone like it. It's not a black and white issue with me. I'm one of the few guys who left, have crossed over, and but I never crossed out. I'm considered the king of the chilling second. Now a lot of white people, who knows me, but now there's a lot of guys who, who white people know, that black people we know who they are. And I won't get into name calling, but but Bobby Rush is one of the guys. Just as many white people know me as black people know me, and I'm considered as the king of the chilling second. I'm definitely I have crossed over, but I haven't crossed out, mm. and I don't plan to do that. So you think that the British blues musicians and some of the white musicians here in America have kept this music going longer than it would have on its own oh, yes. natural oh, yes. ability? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because yeah. if it wasn't for the white people who don't, who don't the blues and the white radio DJs who play the blues, they played on a white man longer and quicker than they were played on a black man. Hmm. But, I, but I ain't nothing wrong with all that. All I'm asking them to do, tell where it come from. Hmm. That's all. That's tell where it come from. You got but uh, you, you you got Bunny Ray and people like Ed Clapper. There are a few other people I can name to tell where it come from. But, but a lot of guys who play it and the white people who listen to them think they created it. And and, and that's the part uh, I think is 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 a shame of. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a shame. Just if you play a muddy water song, say it's a muddy water song, and he's a black man who plays the blues. You know, don't try to take the song and twist and say, I created this and this is my sound. You know, I agree totally. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you, if you play, I can hear a lot of guys play like Albert King, but they won't tell where it come from. Mm. They won't tell where they learned the lick from. You know, understood. Yeah. And, and Bobby, I can't thank you enough for taking time to talk with me today and sharing so many of your memories and thoughts with me. It was an honor to speak with you. And if folks want to learn more about your music, they can go to your website, which is bobbyrushbluesman.com, and they can catch you here live in Indiana at the Fishers Blues Fest on September 3rd. Bobby Rush, is there any final thoughts you wanted to share with our listeners? Yeah, I want to tell all the listeners, thank you for being my fans, and thank you for holding up with you. 
and I want to thank you for doing all for all you have done, all you're doing, what you're planning to do. Because what you say about me, what people perceive me to be, I'm planning now to do everything and all I can, why I can. So when that come a time I cannot do, I won't regret what I did not do. Thank you so much, Bobby Rush. I'm a big fan and appreciate you taking time to talk with me. I appreciate you, man. This is a lovely conversation I had with you. Thank you and thank all your fans for for being patient and waiting on us and, and thanks for playing my music and, and other music like me and keeping the blues alive. Thank you, man. For sure. See you in Fishers on September 3rd. Thank you, man. Take appreciate care. You. See you. My guest this week has been the blues legend Bobby Brush. And I want to end this week's show with a song from his classic 1978 album, Rush Hour, released on the Philadelphia International label and produced by soul music legend Leon Huff of Gamble and Huff. This is Bobby Rush with I Wanna Do the Do. I'm Kyle Long, and you've been listening to Cultural Manifesto. Thank you for tuning in. Y'all.